You're about to enter the most electrifying NFL talk show you have ever experienced. From up-to-the-minute news and notes to... Uh, who am I kidding? It's a wrap. Let's try this again. It's the After Further Review Podcast with Connor Forrest. Want to get involved? Send us an email to mailbag at connorforrest.com. For your questions to be read on air. I just I have felt this way for a number of years. I feel like the gamut, the the spectrum of illness for you is either <laughs> sniffles, your, your common allergy, your sniffles, you know, things you just take a Zyrtec for, and then Ebola. It's it. There yeah. is no. Di- you're either feeling good, you're either rolling, or you're on your deathbed. Am I wrong? No, that's pretty accurate. I would say that's uh, that's pretty darn accurate. It's it's pretty remarkable. You know, it's it's funny. You've had COVID eighty three times, I think, right? Those are numbers oh, approximate. Only once, I think. Only once. But what you're referring to is I did have the flu, oddly enough, in April, when the weather is finally starting to get warm. Uh, I had the flu, so we uh, have been not doing a podcast. I think we were going to do one last week. Uh, or, or earlier this week, but I was uh, still down with the flu, so yeah, dude. Uh, you know, had to uh, had to wait that one out. Did not feel like podcasting with a, a temperature and muscle aches and all that stuff. So yeah, you were we you waited. were down bad. Yeah, you were down yeah. bad, and I didn't. And we didn't want to mess with that. But I mean, at the, and listen, at the same point, I uh, you know, look, there is nothing seven week old babies care less about than your sleep. They just they don't they don't care at all. Like it's it it's it's unbelievable. Um, by far the greatest joy of my life. By far the most enjoyable thing of my life. The most enjoyable process of my life. But God, Sean, I think the next time I'll get a full night's sleep is the night after I pass on from this life to the next. I really think that's just what's going to end up happening. I think that's when I get a full night's sleep, and that's totally okay. Totally okay. Um, it's also fun to play the victim card because let's be clear, Anna is losing much more sleep than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but listen, it is it's fun being the victim, right? And the, and the thing is, is that she's not down here to fact check me, so you know I'm gonna keep keep the narrative up. Um, but it's been great. And, and again, I, I I want to apologize to the listeners because we uh, we had our episode out, our dad cast was out. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but it has been a couple weeks. I mean, a lot of things we're juggling, a lot of things um, on and off the field, as they say, that we are trying to corral back in. But I want to wish everybody a very happy Friday because this is your bonus episode of the week. That is how much we care about you. I said, listen, Johnny, we're, we we haven't been here for a couple weeks, so we're going to hit them with two episodes. We're going to get them their Wednesday episode, which you heard on Wednesday. 
And today is your Friday episode. And today's a special Friday episode because it is your first official NFL draft preview because I cannot believe how quickly the NFL draft is creeping right up on us. So I had Ian Cummings from Pro Football Network and a new guest on the podcast, Mr. Walter Twitten from my friend network. You know, Walter's a dear friend of mine, one of my closest friends, and we spend hours and hours talking football. Um, and, and just a week or so ago, I said, Walt, get, just, let's just get you on mic, dude. Let's, let's get on the podcast. Let's have some fun and do it. So Walt will be returning. We will have him on on future episodes, but I thought it was really fun. It was a great little preview. Walt's a big draft guy. So, um, him and Ian going back and forth, um, were, were a ton of fun. So that is, that is why we're here. That is why on Friday you're getting a fresh episode. Um, plenty of exciting things to come in the weeks ahead for the after further review podcast but we're going to get you this bonus episode ian and walter are coming up in just a moment i do want to remind everybody first and foremost we're sponsored by anchor anchor the easiest way to make a podcast go to anchor.fm and let them know that connor from after further review sent you the absolute best way to make a podcast it's free you download the app i mean gosh it just couldn't be easier anchor fm great supporter of the podcast and we appreciate them over there our social medias. Make sure you're giving them a follow at After Further Review Pod on Instagram, After Further Review Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at Connor Forrest underscore. That is where we are at. That's where you're going to get all the latest good stuff. Shawnee has been killing it on social media recently. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so continue to follow along. And as always, the best way for you guys to help is always hitting that five star review, leaving a little review. Make sure you subscribe. And go ahead and just tell a friend. That's just the best way to get the podcast out. That's the best way to help support us. Um, and we are so grateful for everybody from the start um, who has been out there um, supporting us. Uh, and, and again, I said um, in the episode um, this week as well, like we got so many different, I got so many different uh, mailbag questions from people all over the place um, over the last few weeks that I definitely, we have to get a mailbag episode out. So we're going to nail out the details on a mailbag episode coming out soon. Um, lots of exciting stuff coming up on the after further review podcast, but for now it is draft time. So let's get Ian Cummings from pro football network, Walter Twenton from my birthday party invite list, right? <laughs> that's, that's the best way to describe it. You guys are going to love these guys. They're just the best. Uh, but our draft episode preview starts right now. Further review returns, my friends. Now, Sean is uh, currently currently dying, I think. He's got the flu, unfortunately. So I am, I'm doing the hosting bit, and then I'm doing the ones and twos. But I figured me running solo is... It's no fun by any stretch. So I figured we'd have a couple guests in here. Now, if you if you take a look down at the Apple Watch, if you're wearing it, if you got the phone on you, you're going to see April. April in the NFL year means one thing in my eyes, and it's Ian Cummings. That's all it means. It's draft time, so we had to have Ian on the podcast. We also have a special guest on the podcast. Mr. Walter Twetton is with us as well. Um, so we got a whole panel. We're going to get into the draft. Um, I know we have been a little bit lagging with the episodes recently, but uh, you know, a couple circumstances outside of work that has uh, led us to a little bit of a delay in content, but we're, we're going to get it out there. But most importantly, before we get to anything, we got to get to Ian, got to get to Walter. Ian, Walt, how the hell are you guys? Connor, I'm doing great. It's so great to hear you. Ian, how are you, buddy? 
I'm good, man. I'm good. I mean, a long work day, you know, just it's how it is every day in April. You mentioned it, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean Ian Cummings. It means NFL draft. You know, it's the whole thing. It's the whole event, you know, but it's uh, it's it's uh, the busiest time of year. It's what you sign up for. It's it's a fun time. I was thinking of you um, just the other day because we were um, me and Walter talking a little bit about the Senior Bowl. And uh, I, I had to ask you before we get into anything was how was your Senior Bowl travel situation this year? Because I know last year we had a little snafu, didn't we, on the way to the airport? Yeah. yeah was it, it was smooth fun. this time? It was very smooth this okay. time. Last year, you know, I was I was still in school. And uh, I was skipping a, a week of school, you know, to go, you know, I, I don't mind missing accounting class, believe me, but you know, yeah, I, I was trying to make sure that it went smoothly. Uh, and, you know, I went out there 6am to get some, you know, McDonald's or whatever before before going to the airport, and my car wouldn't start. So I was like, oh, you got to mm-hmm. kidding me, right? So oh, I, luckily, luckily they hit a bus system because it's it's a school. So I was able to get there. I'd never ridden the bus before, you know, to the airport anyway. So I had to kind of follow the signs or whatever. It wasn't too too difficult, you know. But for a guy who's, you know, I'm trying to, this is like a, a job audition basically. So I'm trying to make sure it goes smoothly. I'm like a little worried, but we got there. We got there in one piece and we got there to Mobile. We came back and it was a fun time. And, you know, this past year it was a lot easier. Just kind of drove over. Uh, from where I'm living now near Lansing, Michigan, and, um, you know, flew down. It was a lot more, a lot easier the second time around. You know, last year, really didn't know what I was doing. First year was just kind of getting my feet wet. But then this past, this past one, uh, this past uh, February, you know, really comfortable, you know, kind of knew the lay of the land. You get to, you get there to that stadium and you kind of know, you know, what to expect, where to go to watch certain drills, you know, how to, how to watch, what to watch for, just stuff like that. So it was a fun time, you know, and I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what next year brings because, you know, there's stuff that you learn every time you go down there. And I think, um, you know, as long as the car doesn't have any more troubles, we should be uh, sitting pretty for a long time here, but it, it's always a fun event, you know, getting up close with the prospects and, you know, seeing how they compete in that environment. It's, it's always a fun time. Yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm glad it was a smoother trip this time. Cause I, I, I could, I could feel the, pa- I mean, when you're telling me the story, I could feel the panic in your voice as you were retelling yeah. the story. Like, Oh my God, dude, the car wouldn't start, <laughs> but let's be clear. And, and Walt, you can, you can confirm this. The pre airport morning flight trip to McDonald's is a must. Oh boy. Oh, it's essential. It's absolutely essential. And by the way, I, I think we're going to have to refer to that Ben Ian as just the IC with no AC. That's yeah. all that is. That's tragedy. That's I'm exactly so sorry that happened to you. Oh my goodness. With the, 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 that's a 1.0. There will be no 2.0. Next there time it's be. private jet. Yeah. That's, that's exactly <laughs> the McDonald's correct. run up front before an airport trip is, in my opinion, just grade A American. Because yeah. what else is open when you're rolling out at like 5 30 in the morning that has decent breakfast food in two minutes? I it's promise really you just nothing. one restaurant. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the other thing is, is, First of all, if if you want to do the 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 burrito bit, you can. If you want to do the biscuit bit, you can. If you want to do the muffin bit, it just it 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 doesn't it really doesn't matter. You're getting two of whatever you get, and then you're getting some sort of sweet tea or some. I mean, it's the problem is if we keep talking, I'm gonna end this and then just walk over to McDonald's. So, uh, but uh, I'm glad to hear this. This was a, this was a smooth trip. But yeah, I can at, tell you the first the first year when I didn't get that McDonald's trip, I was devastated. Man, mm, that was rough. oh yeah, 
That, you know, I, right when I got to the airport, I'm like, all right, where's the bagel place? Where's the bagel place? Yeah, I'm going to yeah. myself something to eat, you know? So, yep. Yeah, yeah the analysis time. starts falling apart as soon as you get exactly. down. Exactly. Like, I need my breakfast, complaining. man. Right. <laughs> it's exactly Absolutely. right. Yeah, and me and Ian, by the way, we have had, uh, we, we I believe the last time you were on the podcast, Ian, we did an everything bagel like breakdown. That's I think right. I, I think I, I went that. off on everything bagels for some reason, and I like them. But looking back on the episode, I, I, I had a little bit of a meltdown. That was that was probably unfair to everything bagels. Um, Honestly, I hate everything bagels. Can we just really? I'm put it out there? I wasn't part. Everything bagels have a huge problem, which is they do not specialize. They're mm. like, look, let's make an NFL comparison here, okay? Please. If you're gonna be a safety who kind of tries to do everything well, you're gonna have some issues in life, right? You're going to be kind of like a linebacker. You're going to be kind of like a cornerback. You're going to kind of end up not being very good. You're, so you're going to kind of be Landon Collins, basically, is what you're, you're saying. You're kind of going to be Landon <laughs> Collins. If you're a bagel, specialize. Be, be like, you know, onion, heck, if people like that. Be cheddar. Asiago cheese. But don't just have all kinds of weird seeds and confusion going on. Now, okay, I'm done with my meltdown now. <laughs> I like that. I like that. No, it's it's – Meltdowns are good. Meltdowns are. I love how we have fantastic. two separate podcasts with two separate everything bagel meltdowns. Yeah, right. literally. Here we go again. This is this yeah. is unfathomable. I should probably <laughs> rebrand. Is really where we're at. This is what happens when the producer is gone and, and I'm taking taking control. Um, but uh, so much to get into. Uh, as always, uh, podcast tonight brought to you by Anchor FM. Wanted to make sure we reminded everybody the easiest way to make a podcast: download the free app, visit Anchor FM, let them know that Connor from After Further Review sent you. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with that senior bowl, and then we're going to work our way towards the draft. Um, Ian, I'm going to ask you first, and then Walt, you can follow up with Ian. You can ask some questions. Right, I'd love to get your take as well. Um, from where you were, you got down to the senior bowl. Just give me some things that stood out to you. I know that a lot of times I, I think the writers are broken up into groups. I, I don't know if you uh, had that happen again this past year. Uh, maybe you can tell us about the group you're watching or – Give me some names. Give me some things that stood out to you. And then, and then Walter, you can you can piggyback right off it. Yeah, so I was assigned the trenches. So offensive line, defensive line. I did get a chance to watch, you know, especially because the third practice was rained out. So that we mm-hmm. I went home early before day three and uh, they had tape online on an app. You could view it there. So I watched quarterbacks. I watched offense. I watched everything I could on that one. It kind of caught up on what I missed. So I got that chance. But when I was there in person, I was watching the trenches. And the big takeaway for the first couple of days was that the defensive line was you know, substantially more consistent, more impactful than the offensive line. The offensive linemen were kind of having a rough go of it. I mean, there were a few guys who stood out I think Zion Johnson of Boston College, that dude is very solid, and he was very steady throughout the week and clearly the best offensive lineman there. I think North Dakota's Matt Willetsko, uh, who was kind of an interesting one because a small school guy, you know, came out, you know, he proved that he wasn't, the moment wasn't too big for him, and he kind of competed against these high-level edge rushers. But, you know, more often than not, the offensive linemen did take their lumps, and you saw guys like Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma. He was dominant all week and dominant during the game. I mean, he's got that straight-line explosiveness, that power. He showed it the entire week. Travis Jones from Connecticut, a nose tackle. You know, he's athletic, too. So he 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 gets off the line quick. He drives you back. They were all causing problems. And then the edge rushers, too, man. I mean, Jermaine Johnson, probably going to be an early first-round pick. I have him as my sixth overall prospect, so I'm a big fan of his. He was dominant the entire week. He was getting pressure any way possible. Arnold W. Katie is another another guy that I'm a big fan of. Boye Mafe from Minnesota. Uh, Maje Sanders from Cincinnati. 
D'Angelo Malone. I mean, the list goes on and on. The defensive line group was stacked, and they were clearly giving it to that offensive line group. There were some guys who flashed on the offensive line, don't get me wrong, but, you know, they were clearly outmatched kind of. You know, if I had to give a broad-scale takeaway from that, but, you know, other takeaways, I think, the wide receiver group was pretty good. Christian Watson flashed, and he's obviously, you know, since the combine, he's blown up. Danny Gray, I thought, was pretty good. Calvin Austin is a separation machine. Um, the quarterbacks were interesting. I don't think anyone, like, you know, ran away with the week. I think Malik Willis kind of came out of it as the winner because, you know, all he had to do was show progression through the week, and I think he did that. Desmond Ritter did that pretty well. I think Carson Strong actually took a hit, you know, not just because of his play on the field. He had some nice throws, but he sailed some of those deep passes, especially on day two. But, you know, uh, interviews, I heard he interviewed poorly, and that's an important thing for quarterbacks. So I think Carson Strong, that on top of the lack of mobility relative to other quarterbacks has kind of pushed him down. Uh, but then Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, they were pretty steady throughout the week. Uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, if you were there and you interviewed well, you were probably going to have a good uh, impression, leaving leaving scouts with a good impression at quarterback because the talent is there. I mean, the mobility, you know, a lot of these guys have it, and I think they showed it there. It's just one of those things where, you know, really what the senior bowl is more for the quarterbacks is showing you can progress through the week. And then also impressing teams in interviews. So I think quite a few guys did that. Um, it's just a matter of where they fall into place. But yeah, if I could give, I'll wrap it up here because I could keep talking for 10 minutes. But yeah, I mean, it was a fun time. You know, a lot of talented prospects there, you know, at every position, really. The Senior Bowl always, you know, puts together a, a phenomenal showcase and, you know, provides a lot of prospects to keep an eye on. And, you know, it's a, it's a valuable opportunity for them, too, to kind of show their stuff in front of NFL scouts. And I think quite a lot of people did that, you know? So I think the senior bowl, it was an important milestone and a lot of guys made the most of it. Well, what do you got for us? You know what? I first want to say that the senior bowl, you hit on something here. Um, I'm jealous of you that you've gotten down there because I think it is a sterling showcase. I think it's one of the best thing in all sports, actually beyond just football, because what you were able to put together is these players, these complete studs, who frequently have not played each other just due to the setup of college football, right? Whether it's cross-divisional, cross, you know, bowl games and so on, misaligning. And we're always thinking like, oh, what if this guy was going against this guy? Like, what a matchup, you know? Like, what if we could get Aiden Hutchins on Evan O'Neill, like, consistently? What if we could see it for 10, 30 snaps? And, you know, sometimes we don't get that. Sometimes you do. And if you go down to senior bowl, which a lot of these guys have, not all, of course, we got injuries. We got guys who know they're studs and they don't have to show up. But a lot of them have more, more and more recently. And I love watching the tape. So it's just a phenomenal showcase. And in addition to that, we finally get to see some of these really small school guys, right? Like the Christian Watsons, like, you know, the guys out of North Dakota State come in and show their game. And sometimes they surprise, right? Um, I think Travis Jones is a great, he's a great example, right? This year coming out of UConn. And I think you threw his name in there and he's, I mean, he might be, I don't know if he's the top, but he's probably right below a couple guys from Georgia right now in terms of that nose tackle thing. I'm really curious to hear two thoughts because you were there in person. One, I love projecting guys to NFL based on athletic traits, right? Um, production is awesome. Production is fantastic. Should definitely be a big part of any conversation. But there's a couple positions where really when we start looking at the athletic traits and like, you know, corresponding to the league, we see maybe even better correlation than what they did in college, right? Um, the classic example of this is defensive end, right? Daniel Hunter, right? I'm a Vikings fan. Daniel Hunter basically didn't touch a quarterback in college. Maybe he waved at them from the sidelines. He gets in the NFL, 6'6", runs a 4'5", real lean and bendy. All of a sudden, the guy's an all-pro. 
who do you think is kind of the, the Neil Hunter S guy? If you had to pick one coming out of the senior bowl. It's a tough question, man, because a lot of them were at least moderately productive at the collegiate level. I mean, shoot, I mean, Travis Jones is a good bet. I mean, he was a guy and he was pretty productive at UConn. So it's kind of cheating. Right. But, you know, he's another guy where, you know, he's been comped favorably to uh, Derek Brown coming from Auburn a couple of years ago. Right. So very athletic nose who can be a little alignment versatile on the interior. You know, I think that he has the traits to I think Jeremy Rucker was there, I think. Don't quote me on that. I'm going to look it up here because I, I'm, I'm getting all jumbled here. But Jeremy Ruckert, Senior Bowl. But if he's there, he's my pick because he was a guy uh, who Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, he was there at the Senior Bowl. So Jeremy Ruckert is my guy. I, I was pretty sure he was there, but I wanted to double, double check. There's so many deep options at this tight end class. But Jeremy Ruckert was a guy who really wasn't utilized a lot in the Ohio State offense. And I think that he has the traits to be a better pro than college player. And I think that you look at, you know, what he did at Ohio State, you know, the limited sample size at the Senior Bowl, too. You know, he's got the twitch and the athleticism to separate as a route runner. He's got great size. He flashes catching instincts. He can go beyond his frame, use those hands, you know, and I really he's a great blocker, too. You know, he, he provides the physicality, the, the competitive edge in that phase. So with that question, you know, I don't think there's anyone at the Senior Bowl who it was quite the degree of Daniel, Daniel Hunter who didn't produce at all, you know, but Jeremy Ruckert is a guy who, you know, at Ohio State fighting for targets with guys like Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, Julian Fleming, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. There were so many guys fighting for targets there that he sometimes got overlooked. And I think that when he gets a premier role in the NFL, I think Jeremy Ruckert could go on to be a solid tight end, a solid starter. So I think he's got the physical traits and I think he's the, he has the competitive toughness as well. So that would be my pick. I'm sure there's a few others if I did some digging on the production, but especially with the edge rushers. I mean, I think Boye Mafe even had a standout season in his final year. Majay Sanders, you know, uh, uh, D'Angelo Malone was productive his entire career. Arnold Abacady was very productive after transferring from Temple. Uh, Sam Williams was the one of the most productive guys in the SEC, and he came over from the uh, NFLPA Bowl, right? So I think, you know, a lot of these guys had the production to back themselves up. Very rarely do they not have that if they go in the Senior Bowl. But if I had to pick one, it would be Jeremy Rucker. Interesting, and, interesting. Yeah, and, and Ian, I kind of want to – I want to take the mouse and double click a little bit because I'm, I'm glad you you had the line here. And, and I want to ask you specifically about the interior line, because I know I know last draft and, and we talked about this a lot. I mean, Washington did nothing but stack up um, in recent years on that interior line. And, and last year we talked about that big discrepancy between Christian Barmore and then a guy like, you know, Ali McNeil. Uh, last year in the draft, right? And then you go down to Milton Williams, and there was a huge discrepancy between Christian Barmore, who people felt like, hey, this guy's a first-round type talent, and then interior guys behind him. There was a big gap. Is is this year similar? Is this year totally opposite? Give me some guys that, that you like at the interior, um, because I do think that there's a lot of teams out there that are really dying to get some interior help. And I'd be curious as, as to what you have to say about some, some interior defensive linemen. Maybe you saw, maybe you didn't see. What do you got? Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll expand beyond the Senior Bowl for this one, too, because I think there's, Definitely. there are some guys who weren't at the Senior Bowl that could provide value there. You know, I look at, obviously, if you want to go for the Senior Bowl, Perry and Winfrey is a good place to start. I mean, this guy, like I said, he was unblockable. I mean, I was in awe for most of the week because he was, every time he had a rep, he was going straight down. I remember he was going up against uh, Fordham offensive guard uh, Nick Zakelge on day three and uh, just straight bull rush. 
uh, and, and drove him back 20 yards. I mean, he was not stopping until he got to Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, he's his motor <laughs> ran hot the entire time. Uh, he was super energetic. But you look at Perry and Winfrey's frame. I mean, the dude is like, you know, I think he's around 6'4", 290, somewhere around there. He's got 35-inch arms. And seeing him in person, he looks like he was created in a lab. Like, it's insane, you know, the, how his frame is built. And he's super explosive off the snap, super twitchy. You know, so I'm a big fan of his. I got to run his grade. I'm still working on my grading scale and inputting defensive tackles, but I'm really excited to see what he comes in as because he has a very rare combination of burst and length. Moving on, I think uh, Devontae Wyatt was another fun one. You know, he's a little smaller, but really compact. He has violent hands, really good lateral agility. We saw there were some reps where he was able to get an edge on the guy just by, you know, shooting off the line alone. You know, like he didn't even have to use his hands. Uh, because he's just so athletic and he showed that at the NFL combine, but he knows how to use it as well. So he was a fun one. Uh, Travis Jones, obviously. Fedarian Mathis at Alabama, I wasn't as impressed as I expected to be at the senior bowl. You know, I think for him, you know, has some struggles with pad level, you know, not the most agile guy from a lateral standpoint, but he's alignment versatile. He's got a high motor. Uh, and he's pretty powerful too. So he's a he's an interesting player. Again, I'm not sure if I take him, you know, round two or anything, but maybe late day three. Uh, I, I like him as a glue guy for a defensive line. Logan Hall, Houston. He's a fun one. I comp him to William Golson uh, from Tampa Bay. You know, I think that um he's got that similar frame around 6'6, over 280. So he's one of your guys where, you know, at Houston, he was used as that big edge. He was used at three tech. They rotated him around a little bit. I think. His best fit in the NFL is three tech in an odd front scheme, maybe. Uh, but you can rotate him out as that strong side DE in that in the four three under sets. Uh, but he's got that explosiveness, that power as well, violent in hands. He really loves that arm over move, that that swim move. He uses that a lot. Uh, maybe to a fault, he needs to expand his pass rushing arsenal a little bit. But I'm a big fan of his. Zachary Carter, power rusher out of Florida. Uh, he's a fun player as well. He flashed a lot at the Senior Bowl, and I think he's pretty underrated. He's another one who might be more of a three tech. He's a little you know, a little leaner, but he does pack a punch. I mean, he's a strong dude, you know, so that I would really love him as a defensive tackle too. You know, I think he has the frame for that. Yeah. Um, and then John Ridgeway, you know, going down the list, I could go on for a little bit. Atito Ogbania, if you're looking for a nose tackle, he flashed at the senior bowl. One more I'll bring up and then I'll, I'll, I'll seed the mic, but Matthew Butler, <laughs> Tennessee uh, is a very fun player. He's been one of my, uh, you know, my diamonds in the rough for a while now, but uh, he was, a late bloomer at Tennessee wasn't super productive until this past season. I think he had around eight tackles for loss and five sacks, uh, but he's around. I want to say, let me pull up the combine numbers for him because I know he tested pretty well here. We got, uh, yeah, around 6'4", 297 uh, with 33 and a half inch arms. So he's got that, you know, that combination of leverage and length I, that I love. A, a guy that I liked a lot coming out last year was a Texas defensive lineman, Taquan Graham, kind of a similar frame to that. Graham was much longer but uh, both kind of had a similar height weight. And I look at Matthew Butler, he had a 32-inch vertical, and it shows up on tape. He's explosive. I mean, he gets off the line with a ton of heat. Again, violent hands. He can. He has a high pad level at times, which he's got to work on. But um, one thing that I really liked about his tape is that when he stunts outside, he's, he has ankle flexion, all right? He can bend. He can shrink himself a little bit and get around the apex. So he's He's a fun athlete. I think you can do a lot of different things with him. I think keep him at three tech, but allow, you know, free him up a little bit in that role. Uh, you know, four, three defensive tackle or three, four defensive end. He can be a little versatile in that sense. So Matthew Butler, probably late day two, early day three. Uh, but I would take him late day two. You know, that's where I'd be willing to take him. But bottom line, man, this this defensive tackle class has a lot of options. 
Uh, oh, one more. One more I forgot to mention. My bad. Uh, but Matt Henningsen, Wisconsin, is another one. Tested very well. Uh, he's got to improve his hand usage. He's got to improve his leverage. He's not the most flexible guy. He's a little stiff, but uh, he's explosive. He's powerful. He's got a high motor, uh, especially if I, if I was Washington, you know, needing that rotational defensive lineman. Now that you cut Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle went to the Buffalo Bills, you might need some more rotational depth there. I, mm. I love Matt Henningsen as a guy in that round four, round five range to get that high upside guy in there. Yeah, I I agree, and I, I think Washington is a is a key candidate for that. I mean, Tim Settle um, out, Matt Ioannidis out as well. I mean, those are those are guys. Those are big rotational pieces and, and play. You know, I mean, for Washington fans who who listen to the podcast, we got a whole bunch of them, but. I think everybody knows that rotation was such a big deal for keeping John Allen and, and Deron Payne fresh. So they're absolutely a, a key contender there. And I think there are some dudes that'll probably fall into day two, day three that, that are, you know, going to be end up, uh, end up being guys like, you know, like Tim Settle, Matt Ioannidis, both, um, you know, round five picks. Walt, before we move on from the senior bowl, I'll, I'll give you the last, last word on it. Um, if you have any more questions, toss them, give, give yeah. me some takeaways, give me some guys you like. I know, yeah, I know you've definitely. told me a couple dudes you like, but but uh, hit me up. What do you got for me? I got a lot of agreement there. You know, one of the names that immediately comes to mind here was Logan Hall. I really, initially in kind of this draft process, Logan Hall was a guy who just popped for me on tape. Um, you know, he, he reminded me a lot. You said William Golston. I, I, I saw initially Peyton Turner. Now, not quite the athleticism of Peyton Turner, his old running mate coming out of college but you know he has these crazy long arms you know and he could kind of work out to the edge although he's definitely better fit at the three tech I think he's a guy who initially you know people are thinking he might run you know a little faster than he did at the combine maybe maybe show a little bit better in the broad jump he didn't quite you know quite come off you know it's just absolute crazy explosiveness so he's, he's reduced maybe from where he was at the back of the first top of the second to maybe more healthily in that second maybe even the third if if things go wild um, but I think he's a guy who could really do a lot of damage there from the interior. Um, but I, you know, it's so different than last year, right? Last year we had that clear marquee, you know, Christian Barrymore and then giant gap, as you say, Connor, and we'll figure out from there, some guys who scored yeah. well and so on from smaller schools this year, totally different. I mean, I think your top three, there were Travis Jones, Jordan Davis and Wyatt, right? They are, they are marquee. I mean, you, you're talking about a guy in Jordan Davis who just tested like nothing we've ever seen before. That might be as good a combine as has ever happened, right? And you could take that guy top 15. You could take that guy top 10 if it wasn't for his production and make strong arguments for, it. you know, 340, 4.8. I forget what that broad jump was, but it was way too close to 10 feet for a guy who looks like him. And it's it was just over it's 10 remarkable. Feet, yeah. Was it over 10 feet? Yes, I mean, sir. that's silly. That doesn't make any sense, right? His relative <laughs> athletic score was. 10 and it broke the scale at 10 right i mean he was well beyond that so and you know on again on the defensive line you know when you have those kind of traits it's almost like look give me this guy even if he's not necessarily knows how to do his swim move perfectly right if he doesn't get quite skinny enough maybe you know he's a little bit you know oh i like to punch but not quite hard enough give me that guy with those scores and give me a year and nfl coach him up and he'll do such damage and i think in this interior line if you're looking interior d line this year you're in for such a treat because you can get down at the second round, your second pick and still have such a quality player. Um, so it's, it's a great thing to pull on. The other thing I noticed that we were talking about earlier is kind of these offensive linemen, right. And how they, how they had kind of didn't look, uh, maybe so hot at the senior bowl. Um, you know, it is, it is a pity. We didn't get quite the elite talent out there. Right. 
and we can go maybe and talk a little bit more from the combine numbers, right? We got Evan Neal. We got some real studs here that we didn't get to see. Um, but there was a guy, interesting guy, who I really like, who didn't test well, but at the senior bowl in college has done so well, and that's Ed Ingram, LSU. Later round guy, we're probably talking fourth, fifth round, maybe even a little after, but he was mauling people at the senior bowl. Lost a couple big ones, but in general, complete stonewall. Love him. If you are looking interior O-line, like so many people always seem to be doing, that's a guy I get later, I think. Yeah, he's a he's a brick wall. And I remember there was a rep against Federian Mathis, I think it was on day two, where yeah, you you said it best. He stonewalled him. I mean, the dude has violent hands, he's super physical. You know, he moves pretty well in space too. I think the um he had a bad explosiveness number, but he did have a good 40. I think, you know, the vertical is weird. Like some guys who were who look kind of explosive on tape don't always test well on that. So it's one of those things where you know, I take it into account if the vert, if the vert is good, then, you know, he's a good athlete explosiveness wise. But, you know, if it's not good, you don't have like that, not necessarily a, a right. surefire indicator. And I think with Ed Ingram, he is pretty athletic, you know, and he's powerful. He's got violent hands. There, there are some off field concerns with him. But I do think, you know, when you get to a certain point, I think that mid round range, that's when teams will start to bank on that upside. Because like you said, super physical. If you're looking for a phone booth blocker, this guy's it. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with you totally. He's he's one of my favorites. I, I, an offshoot of that question here, since we're talking interior line, um, you know, I my heart has been wounded because the Minnesota Vikings couldn't draft interior line, and if he handed a gold jacket guy, but you know, Tyler Linderbaum, right? He is, I think, he's known right now as, as the top guy, perhaps regardless of interior position, and he had a phenomenal career. I mean, just unbelievable. You watch his tape, was stud. But at the combine, we had this huge concern come out, right? We have, I think his arms were like in the one percentile, which is a big deal for less big deal than if you're on the outside, of course. But, you know, I, I, I think they're 31 and a half, 32. How do you feel about him? You, you got these great, great, great tape. You got great explosiveness. But then you got this perhaps completely crippling flaw. Is that something that's worrying you if you're thinking first round? It depends, you know, and I think we, we've heard reports that he is slipping down the board. I think he compensates really well uh, with his natural leverage, his understanding of leverage, um, his, his football IQ, you know, his athleticism as well, the ability to flip his hips and move in space. You know, it's all there with him, the physicality as well. You know, it's just one of those things where he is a little bit smaller frame wise, you know, not, you know, overly powerful. Again, he has enough strength, functional strength and core strength but not that guy who's going to, you know, knock guys down with his upper body torque. Um, and then also, you know, those that arm length, like you said, you know, naturally gives him a little less power capacity. Anchors might be a little easy to break, right, but from longer guys who can generate more power with their clubs, right? So it's one of those things where you got to take into account the projection element. And I think uh, for me personally, ultimately, I think scheme dependency is what it comes down to. I mean, he's he's probably going to be a zone blocking center at the next level. If you're a zone blocking team, then that's great. You know, he's a perfect fit for you, right? So if you're if, if he gets to a certain point, obviously take him. But for teams that maybe run a little more gap, little you know inside, you know, you know split split duo, right? Like maybe you're not looking to get that guy that early, right? Especially with you know this center class did kind of take a hit with guys like Ricky Stromberg and Jarrett Patterson and Ola Sugun Olawatomi going back. But I do think there are some good options in the later rounds still available. Uh, Cam Jurgens being one, he's kind of like a discount Tyler Linderbaum from Nebraska. Uh, he's his own blocking guy, can can get a little stronger, you know, not the biggest guy, but he's physical, he's athletic. 
Uh, Luke Fortner from Kentucky had some nice reps at the Senior Bowl. He's a center who, who's got that athleticism and some pretty good natural leverage. Uh, Dylan Parham from Memphis took some center reps at the Senior Bowl. He's got yeah. fans. So I think, you know, if you're an NFL team, if you're looking at that and the center options that are on the board later on, you know, you love Linderbaum. The tape is very good. But if he's a little bit scheme specific, you know, if you're a zone center team, then maybe if he gets to the to the bottom of round one or the beginning of round two, that's when you take your swing. But, you know, if, if you're a little more selective, if you'd like to incorporate power gap schemes into your running attack, if you're a little more diverse, you know, maybe you go somewhere else and, and address center later on. So I think it's one of those things you got to address it based on the scheme. Um, I don't think he gets out of the top 50, but again, we've seen where we've seen crazier things happen. I, I had Creed Humphrey as a slightly higher prospect and he fell to the bottom of the round two to the Kansas city chiefs. So anything can happen, especially when it's the center position, it seems kind of devalued nowadays, but there gets to a certain point where if Linderbaum, let's say he's like the 56 pick or whatever, I could definitely see him go on to uh, outplay that projection because he is a very good player. It's just the limitations. of that. I think one of my favorite things of all time was Ian, uh, on on draft night when when Creed Humphrey fell to the Chiefs and and he just was like why why how could this happen the Chiefs are just now so good and he just couldn't couldn't believe that Creed Humphrey fell I I, I loved that, your, your not man just crush. that dude but Trey Smith in round six like are you kidding oh, are you kidding that killed me too my God Trey like, Smith I, was a third rounder the whole time what, what I happened know, dude God like <laughs> I think it was like a medical thing like there was a blood clot issue from his sophomore year but he was taking medication he was cleared by doctors so why are you letting this guy fall around six to the Chiefs man like you're just you're just willfully you're willfully you know. Uh, I don't even know the word them for pro it. bowlers. <laughs> exactly. Like, like I I'm too flustered to talk right now. Like you're, you're, you are complicit in, you know, allowing the chiefs to become a dynasty. That that's a little, that's a little harsh. It's a little over the top, but <laughs> no, giving them I don't Creed think it's harsh at all. That was my feelings too. I, I yeah. remember it's so funny. Your mark is Creed Humphrey tested out the world last year and his tape was great. So you're just sitting there like, I don't see it. Like, what, what am I missing? That's the problem that he's not being drafted. And then, yeah, Trey Smith just, if I recall it, outstanding senior bowl. Just one of these guys who came in and was a stone wall. And medical concerns are always an issue. And I think every team treats them a little bit different, right? You like, you go in, you get your guys in there. You're like, okay, you get your, get the background check and so on. But blood clots, I don't know. That just, that's, that's a solved science, right? Like we have medication, take it, move on. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, that was absolutely remarkable. I, I, I just, I think my my favorite thing will always remain watching Ian, watching watching draft experts on draft night, just watching their Twitter. And people get caught up in the first ten picks. People get caught up in the first round, but just watch them as it goes down the round, and they just see their favorite guys go way later than they thought, and they're just like, I don't, I don't know what else to do with you people. Amon Ra to the Lions was insane. Amon had Saint Brown. I had I had him as a potential first round guy, and he goes to round four. I was like pulling my hair out when day three came i was like oh my god when's he gonna go then he went to the lions and i was happy i was jumping over the roof you know but like i was scared i was like where is this guy gonna go why is no one picking him like it's it's insane man when those guys and sometimes it doesn't work out like i had guys that i liked that ended up kind of flaming out pretty early but you know it's it's uh as a draft evaluator you have guys that you'd like uh, more than the more than the consensus and sometimes they fall and you're left wondering but then sometimes they you know kind of validate that opinion with their play and I think Creed, Trey Smith, Amon Ra you know those are definitely on the list man it's tough to see them fall though because you know they're talented guys they deserve to go high. right 
That's, now, you I, know what? That's go. Sorry, go ahead. Go no, no, no. I actually finished that point because I have a question for both of you, and I, I, I have more fun with Walt uh, going through this every year than anything on earth. Go ahead and finish your point, and then I'll hit you guys with a question. This is hilarious because I know exactly what you're about to say because I was about to say it. At some point here, we have to talk about our favorite guys who didn't pan out. The Bingo. painful <laughs> list, the one that cuts <laughs> that's you. Exactly I knew it. you were going there, Connor. Yep, that's exactly it. But, but before we get there, I want to make a quick point here on the Sun King, the Detroit Lions special, the guy who has just – I mean, what was it, 900 yards or something last year? I know that was going to be a good – I mean – I think this just brings further light something that is so discounted or perhaps has become more and more steadily realization, but that it felt like from 2000 until 2018, people were looking at receivers and like, I want to be 6'3", 215, run a 4'4", and I don't care. Like, that's what I want my receiver to be. And look, I love tall receivers. I love fast, big guys who look like Randy Moss, but stronger. But the most important thing for receiver is separation. Nothing even more important than actually catching the ball is separation. And, you know, Amon, he, he does it. He does it in weird ways. He's stronger than you think, you know. He's a little bigger than you think. But he, he's a great route runner. Jerry Judy, another guy who just like not incredibly fast, you know, not incredibly big, fantastic route runner. Stephon Diggs, fifth round, right? Not incredibly big, not actually all that fast. Unbelievable route runner. This is just this is the I think the most inherent single aspect of success in the NFL is just look at their tape. And if these guys are cutting people up, it is very unlikely that they won't succeed. They might not blow the you know, roof off, but they will be productive in the league. And that's why you look at, you know, like I, I like to project guys that have the traits that are conducive throughout running. So even if they're not elite separators at the college level, they can become it. But also, let's say a receiver doesn't test well. You know, you still look at the tape to see if they have that nuance. Like you said, like I was looking at Justin Ross the other day from Clemson. And uh, this guy's a really smooth route runner for his size. I mean, he's constantly eating up that cushion, you know, forcing DBs to kind of respect that speed upfield, you know, and then kind of cutting those stems with a lot of stopping ability. He's got good hip sync. You know, this is a guy who can manipulate DBs, even though he's not very athletic. And you look at that, you know, it, that's something that can translate to the next level. Like you said, always separating, just giving yourself enough space to work with. And Amon Rob was one that I really liked with that because he can separate but he can also work at the catch point. He had an alpha mentality at USC where he was always coming down with it. You know, he's a physical dude, like you said, you know, has great hands. And it's just one of those things. If you can separate, you give yourself a better chance to win at the catch point. So looking at guys who have the traits to do that or the route running nuance to do that, you know, that's that's always a good indicator. Right. So I, I got to get yours then, Walt. What, what is that guy that you, you just whiffed on? Oh, boy. I mean, there's, there, there's, of course, a couple, right? And, and I almost feel like I know these names better than I know the guys I hit on. You know, it, it's, it's, you just sit there and you're so puzzled, just melting inside year two as you're like, wait, what's, I don't understand. Is it the scheme? Is it the fit? Is it, is it the fact that he just didn't want to play football? Um, you know, it, it, and a lot of times I, I think it is the t I, something that's probably not talked enough about is that a lot of times it is the team, right? I, re I really do feel that, especially for quarterbacks, poor stinking quarterbacks. You know, you send them to the Browns in the last 15 years, you probably could send Andrew Luck there. He might have been bad. You know, you just, there was almost inevitability to it. But no, the, the notorious guy of the last couple of years that stands out to me that I just missed on was Denzel Mims, the wide receiver, New York Jets. And this guy is 6'3". He is 220. He ran 
I think 439, you know, 42 inch vertical or something insane like that. And at the senior bowl was just showing this incredible separation building, you know, great cornerbacks. We're not even touching this guy. And this dude's frame is huge. Like, how is he getting open the red zone in four or five yards at his size, you know, jumping out of the gym to go and grab these balls. I just thought there's no way this doesn't translate. Go look God, at the you tape and a lot him, of reasons. You, you, I, I mean, loved you love Denzel Mims. I loved, I had Denzel Mims as the number three receiver in the class for a while. I had him, I had Jerry, Judy, Justin Jefferson, they had Denzel Mims. And I, and that was the receiver class of the last yeah, probably was. 15 years, right? I mean, there's, we all knew there were seven or eight studs in there, but I had him even above some other crazy guys. And, you know, I don't know if it's the Jets. I don't know if it's him, but I was watching some of his highlights and he was forgetting plays this year. He was, it was clear confrontation with the coaching staff. They don't like him. He doesn't like them. You know, he showed some stuff his rookie season. You know, he went out there, he was a little hurt, but then he, he came out, he got, he had, I think, 500 or so yards in his first season. So there was some success there. And it's just nothing now, a complete nothing burger. So that's that's my big miss that's just killing me because, you know, you sit there and you're like, I would draft this guy at 22 overall and feel like I got a steal. And now, you know, everyone else but him and perhaps one other dude have, you know, that the Eagles who can't draft a receiver to save their lives, you know, have, have done everything and he's done nothing. Uh, Walt, I was, I, was on my, um, I was on my friend Andy's uh, YouTube show the other day and he was asking me about, Deami Brown. And, and every time I think of Deami Brown, I, I just think of Walt, right? I mean, you love Deami Brown as well. Yeah. And I, I, I'm I'm not quitting on Deami Brown just yet. I'm, I'm just not. And I said it the other day, I said, listen, I think he had a, a really rough rookie year. I think there were some things that I think if you looked at his college tape, you could you could realize there were some translation things that were probably going to take a little bit of time for him to make adjustments to. But I still think he's an athletic freak. I still think that the, a lot of the drops he had this year were focus drops. I, I, I think I think he's got all the tools. Um, but Deami Brown's another dude that that I, I I always think about. It's him and Denzel Mims with you. Ian, I oh, gotta yeah. get your your biggest swing and miss. I mean, give me a couple that you just you just you you thought you nailed it and was it was just it just didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, shoot, man, it's tough. I mean, here's the thing: going back two years, three years, I was a terrible evaluator. All right, you go back to 2019, <laughs> I sucked. I was bad at this, and um, Josh Rosen was a big one. You know, that was, I mean, to be, that feels like cheating because everyone missed on that. Right. But that was one <laughs> right. where my process was terrible. I mean, I watched like one game, you know, I, I then I went with the confirmation bias, like, yeah, everyone else is saying he's good. So he's good. He's got the arm channel, bro. You know, the character concerns, no one cares about that. Right. Like, shit, like, no, it's that <laughs> so I was, I sucked at this, you know, and going back to last season, you know, a more recent one would be uh, Austin Watkins from UAB. Uh, I was pretty high on his tape as a sleeper, as an early day three guy. You know, I was like, you know, I, I like this dude a lot. You know, he was showing really good uh, contested catchability. He had good size. I thought he had pretty good, you know, functional athleticism, better than he tested. Um, it, you know, some route running nuance as well. So I was a big fan of his tape. Um, the 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 skill that he showed there, the alpha mentality was the what was kind of what I cited. Now I've realized that's a little hard to quantify, right? You know, having always oh, got that dog in him. You know, that's kind of vague. You, you can't really quantify that. But um, you know, and I, I think part of it was injury too. I remember that he got injured early on. He signed as an undrafted free agent with the 49ers, uh, and then got waived with an injury. And I I really don't know where he is now. So it's one of those things where you know just kind of faded away, which is tough because I thought he was a talented guy. But uh, you look back, you reevaluate, you see where you missed. Um, the the thing is, like I, 
uh, my process has been improving every year. Like even I go back to evaluations that I had last year and it's like, wow, what, what, what was I thinking there? Like Diami Brown could go on to be another one. Cause I was, I was pretty high on him. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked the ability, uh, the release package at the line, the ability to stack defensive yep. backs and get past them, you know, with that speed, but the focus drops were a concern on tape in college. And it, it looks like they've been exacerbated so far in the NFL. So I hope he tones that down, but that could go on to be another one as well. Cause I was, I was very high on the pick when he became that pick. I was like, yeah, this is kind of what they need to open up that offense. And it, it hasn't really panned out yet. Obviously there's time to turn around, but the track record of, of receivers turning it around after having a, a rookie season like that, as uneventful as that is not super strong. So it, it, it is a little cause for concern, but um, Hey, you have misses, you know, it's, it's a part of the process. At the end of the day, so. Yeah, man, you have misses. It's, it's always a part of the process. And the, the other thing is we just live in an era, right? Where people love, love your misses and they, that that's just kind of the, that's the fun of it. But um, I want to transition here to the draft because I I've got a couple a couple questions and I think one of the over talked about bits last year that we dealt with in the draft is kind of manifesting itself in the opposite way this year where last year all we talked about were the quarterbacks like how many of these quarterbacks are you know future hall of famers what these guys are going to go one two three four I mean it was non-stop quarterback talk and the opposite this year of hey, none of these quarterbacks are good like they're all terrible none of them are pro ready none of them are, are going to be anything and um, you know, you see people say, hey, none of these guys are first rounders. I want to get and, and Walt, um, I'll I'll, uh, I'll ask you the same thing, uh, but I want to get Ian's take on, the, on this quarterback situation. Do you see any promise in this class? Is this just genuinely a weak class? Do you think, um, you know, do, do you think there are some franchise guys here? And then if you could just answer, honestly, who's the first quarterback off the board in your mind? Um, give me kind of your synopsis on that quarterback position. Cause you know how the NFL works, you know how fans work and you specifically know how Twitter works. Everyone just wants to talk quarterbacks. So I'm curious as to your take on the situation and, uh, and I'll ask Walt the same thing. Yeah. My, uh, my take has always been, you know, I, I don't want to say it's a bad class, right? I think, cause you know, who knows we could go on two to three years from now. And a couple of these guys are very good quarterbacks, right? For their respective teams. So it's one of those things where we don't know the outcome what's going to happen. There's a very wide range of outcomes. So I never want to constrict myself into, yeah, this guy's going to be bust. Yeah. This guy's way too high. You know, like who, who knows, right. It, it depends on situation a lot too. Like maybe they go to the right situation and they turn to have, out to have a pretty good career. Right. It's one of those things where there's a lot of variable variables, especially for the quarterback position, you know, which is so it's so dependent and independent at the same time. You know, there's so many variables to account for. It's hard to kind of discern, you know, a concrete outcome. But for me, it is a little uncertain. You know, like last year, you could say, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is a guy who can be your franchise quarterback. Yeah, Justin Fields can be your franchise quarterback. Even Zach Wilson, you know, even though it hasn't quite panned out for him so far, you're thinking, yeah, he's got the upside to be your franchise quarterback, even Trey Lance. But this year, it's it's really hard to pinpoint a guy and say like yeah this is the guy that i would take that swing on because it, it, there is a lot more risk involved this year but i do think i do think there is talent you know kind of across the board you know like I, i'm not sure there's a quarterback up there who's deficient in starting talent you know malik willis comes to mind right away he's got the athleticism he's got the arm talent a lot of work room for refinement and that's going to be the question can he adjust early on but the talent is there desmond ritter 
very athletic, has a good arm. You know, uh, Sam Owl has a good arm. He's a tough runner. Uh, Matt Corral, very, he's an underrated athlete. He's twitchy, you know, he's sudden. He's pretty explosive, but he's tough too. And he's got an elastic arm, can generate velocity. Kenny Pickett, great athlete, has a good arm, not an elite arm. You know, it's not as, you know, as good as the other guys, but it, I do think it is a good enough arm to win. I especially like his ability to generate velocity off script, off platform. Uh, that's a fun part of his game. And then, yeah, I mean, all those guys, even Carson Strong, while he's not as mobile, he might have the best arm in the class. I mean, generating velocity, pushing it down downfield, you know, getting it, fitting it into those tight windows. So there is talent here. It's just a matter of, is it going to pan out? That's the toughest part for me. Uh, and I, I can't have an answer to that, but I also can't say it's not going to happen because the talent yeah. is there. In regards to who goes number one, I'll probably say I would defer to in any kind of class that's really weak. I feel like teams would either defer to the safest option or the highest upside. And I think about the safest option to me is Kenny Pickett. Uh, the highest upside is Malik Willis. I think Pickett's ceiling is a little bit slept on. It's not super high, but I see Kirk Cousins comps out there and I can't get on board with that because Pickett is a better athlete than Kirk Cousins. He can actually move. He can evade the pocket. You know, he's got that agility to, you know, sidestep defenders and, and, and create for himself and extend plays. He's got that for sure. Uh, that Cousins doesn't have that extension ability. But Malik Willis has it on a different level, right? So it's one of those things. I feel like if you're going to pick a quarterback in this class, if you really want to get a guy, uh, if you're a team, you're either going to take the guy that you think has the best chance to be successful, Kenny Pickett, or the best chance to be a Super Bowl winning quarterback. You know, that ultimate upside, which may end up being Malik Willis just because of the physical tools. I think one of those two is who gets picked first. When does he get picked and who does he get picked by? I couldn't tell you because I don't know who's going to, you know, bite the bullet and take that risk. But um, I think that we see every year the QB tax, you know, the, the positional value pushes these guys to the top. And I think that's going to happen again this year. Walt, what do you got for me at that QB position? Because I, I know we've talked about this a lot, um, sure. but it, you know it's funny. I mean, look, man, we're 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 DC natives. We we're you know I know you're a Vikes guy, but half your heart's always been here in Washington with with me. Oh yeah, and I mean we I mean how many years? Literally, I, I'm, I'm, I'm it, it is over a decade at this point. Have we literally talked about? Hey, when, when's our next franchise guy? When are we going to find him? So so we're constantly looking at this quarterback position with that little scope, right? We're, we are we are eyeing in on that and trying to find it. And this year, I mean, I think Washington's jump, their desperation jump into Carson Wentz, which we've talked about a ton, is just just a kind of a desperate panic move, signals that I think a lot of these QB desperate teams aren't sold on really any of these guys. And I think people, teams in that kind of 8 to 12, maybe 10 to 15 range, in that kind of prime spot to grab one of these guys, they're quickly kind of scurrying to other options. I am kind of curious as to your your thoughts on these guys. Give me your favorite. Give me your least favorite. I mean, what do you mm -hmm. think of the class in general? You know, give give me what you got. If I am Ron Rivera, um, and I'm sitting there at pick twelve, I'm drafting Sam Howe this year. That's my that's my firm. <laughs> if I was in his shoes, this is where I stand. This is what I'm doing. Um, that's all precursor to actually agree with what Ian said. One. I think drafting QBs in general is a complete crapshoot. I think is the one, perhaps the hardest position to draft. I'm not sure there's one that's that's more difficult to project. Um, it's it, it, the only time it's easy is when they're incredible candidates, and that's the same for any position. Outside of that, 
all I can do is look back on the guys who I thought were good, the guys who I thought were bad, and just throw up my hands because I still don't understand how it works. And I don't think anyone does. I don't know if you can look back and say, of course, Patrick Mahomes was going to be this. Of course, Josh Allen was going to be this. Of course, Justin Herbert was going to be this. Like, maybe, but there were a lot of other guys that looked like them that did not pan out. And so I think you just, it's, it's a little bit of a numbers game, but it's also, okay, have the confidence to know that we're going to have to put in some development time and have a guy who can execute our scheme. Um, for this year's class, I actually like it quite a bit more than other people. And the reason for that is my go-to now for drafting quarterbacks is, is not looking at what they can do so much as what they can't do, right? Like find the obvious flaws mm. and start checking off the issues there. Because as much as anything, that helps, right? And these guys in general don't have a lot of can'ts, right? They don't have a lot of, I'm really good, I'm 6'5", my arm is an actual cannon, and I have a 75% completion percentage like we had from, you know, Trevor Lawrence and, uh, you know, a couple other guys in the past couple of years here. But, you know, they've right. all shown pretty decent traits, right? I mean, Malik Willis, fantastic arm strength. Sam Howell, fantastic arm strength. Both of them really mobile. You know, um, we have guys who've shown great accuracy, great production, right? But um, the, the big name here, Malik Willis, my issue when I look at him, why I, I have him more, I'm probably like my third guy. I do agree he's got that great ceiling because of his physical traits, because of off-script production, um, you know, his ability to run. He just is not an accurate passer at this point in his career. There's, there's really nothing else to say. Um, he's accurate when the shorts are on. He's not accurate when the pads are on. I, I, I don't think there's an advanced stat that will say he is. Um, his completion percentage above expected is not good. Uh, his touch on short patches is, is not good. He can bomb the ball. He throws a beautiful deep ball. He can throw well to the intermediate sections of the field a good amount of the time, but then he'll also miss. So that concern to me is one that's really tough to fix. Um, that's, that's an issue. That's, that's one of these quarterbacks where it's like, what can you can't do? And right now, I'm not sure I can say that he's actually an accurate quarterback. So I, I regress him in my rankings, in my viewpoint. Kenny Pickett, more accurate guy. Um, I hate hand size as a stat. I think it is garbage. That being said, when you are so bad, you know, in this stat, when you are literally, the, I think, the smallest hands ever, except for maybe one or two other quarterbacks, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, Derek. Is that the case? He's, he's somewhere around there. Yeah, it's uh, it is a historical outlier. Not the worst. I think Michael Vick had pretty small hands as well. Uh, so it's not like it's not something you can't succeed with. He, I know he wears like double layered gloves. I mean, hey, if it works for him, I know he grips the ball a little bit higher, um, than the than the laces. You know, at the at the at the thinner end of the ball, right? So it's one of those things where take it into account uh, it is scary you know it being an outlier right. like it is not quite the worst ever but definitely i think he's in the um the point zero something percentile right it's pretty it's up there so it's definitely something yeah. that you, it's, a, it's a risk you're taking so it's a legitimate concern i mean probably the better stat there's like what's his grip strength which we don't measure i would really love to know that and my issue is that you see this pop up in his Pittsburgh years, and in, in, in my opinion, in some kind of soft fumbles. Not even just the numbers, which are actually pretty high, but also if you look at the tape, sometimes he's getting hit, and that things pop out in ways that it just seems a little bit too free. Now, there's other guys who succeed just fine. Look, Kirk Cousins, honestly, he fumbles the ball probably a little bit too much um, if we're talking comps. But, you know, it, it's another concern for him. He's got some good athleticism. He can throw the ball pretty well. 
I kind of have him as my number two guy. You know, Sam Howell, the reason I like him, the, the, the reason I, I like him more than any of these other guys is that, you know, his first year at North Carolina was phenomenal. He had great, he had great talent down there that year. He also had a sophomore year, and he produced with it. Um, you know, the arms there, he's a tough guy, really tough runner, kind of, kind of a weird runner, not a guy I'd actually want to probably dedicate any kind of running resources to, more of a scrambler, right? But so strong, not easy to bring down, huge arm, and he's shown the accuracy in the past, a little bit of regression this year, but he's clearly shown that, you know, the offense was simple, admittedly, um, so that's a concern, but there isn't anything in his game where I'm like, no, he can't do it. So I think if I'm taking a gamble, I'm going with him and, and maybe we'll miss, but, but that's my guy. I, th- I think the other one that intrigues me too is, is Matt Corral, but um, to be totally frank, I just haven't watched enough of his tape, but, you know, tested well, stats look good. You know, we'll, we'll see. There's a little bit of concern about that arm strength out there, but for right now, I think that's kind of my working top three is, is, is Sam to Kenny to, to Malik. And, and, you know, I, if, if one of those guys, if, if one of those guys goes in the top 10, I wouldn't be surprised. I really wouldn't because quarterbacks just get value driven. And yeah, some of these people aren't going to think that they're starters, but all you need is that one team to think that, Hey, that's my dude. Yeah, no, I, and honestly, I think you brought up a, a pretty interesting point that um, I think we get really caught up in those physical attributes to what they can do. And we get swept off our feet, right? We get our, our, our skirts blown up when we look at, 6'3", 220, big hands, 5,000 yards, 7% completion percentage, you know, you know, 50 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. By the way, I literally just read you stat for stat Dwayne Haskins senior year, right? I mean, that's my <laughs> point, right? That's my point. So you, you get – we get caught up in this stuff. I think this is where draft analysts are going are gonna to earn their buck. I think this is what Ian has probably been working on since, since last April, right? I think this is where we're going to see – these intangibles for quarterbacks, right? It's none of these guys do they have none of these guys are perfect physically. They've got physical uh, downsides that are that are pretty glaring. Some of them are accuracy issues. Some of them are just read issues. Some of them are, hey, how is this offense just going to translate to the NFL? Do these guys, you know, all these these things that are glaring problems. But we've seen in the past, we've seen how guys at the quarterback position have kind of worked their way through that. So I'm, I'm actually going to be really interested in that. Walt, I'll ask you this first, and then I'll go to Ian. Um, Who's the first team to take a quarterback? So we, we talk about the first quarterback off the board. Who's the first prime team to take a quarterback? I was so, so sure. And I still think I'm very sure it's the Steelers. I can't, I can't 100% put my money on that. I, I always thought the Steelers were a great candidate there for somebody like Malik Man. Willis. But I'm curious as to Walt, who do you got as your, as your first team to take a quarterback here? Yeah, that's a great question, right? Well, one you got to think: Do you have the draft capital to move up if you're down there? Now, you can always you can always you know put yourself in a terrible position next year and, and, and trade away you know your first or your first and your second next year. I, the Steelers are a good franchise, right? They're ph- <laughs> good. They're a phenomenal franchise. I hate yeah. to say it, but they really are. They're well run. I don't see them being this kind of team that's gonna give away their future to go get a guy when they understand that, you know, the, the value of these quarterbacks is looked at a little bit lower this year. So I think they're going to sit, which in my mind says, okay, is there an above them that's going to draft? And I think that first off, the Eagles are getting slept on here because I know they mm-hmm. keep preaching that Jalen Hurts is their guy, but who, buddy, I don't know if anyone who's watched in these last couple of years genuinely feels that way. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe there's something else going on. On, on top of that, too, to add to the Eagles, they were in 
every single quarterback free agent talk, every single one of them they were involved in, whether it was Russell Wilson, whether it was you know, Deshaun Watson. I mean, they were they had their hat in every single free agent situation. So I, I agree with you. I think people are are just kind of assuming Jalen Hurts is kind of going to be handed the keys to this Ferrari. And I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. Right. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't quite make sense. Right. And they also have all this capital. So if they sit there and they want to go get a guy, they absolutely can. No problem. They probably don't have to. Probably the guy will fall to them. But I think they're a really good candidate. But if I'm if I got gun to head here. Right. And I'm sitting here like, OK, please. Uh, Carolina Panthers are going to ask them. Right. Yeah, um, I think they have to, and and the biggest reason they have they're to so is bad. they don't have it. They're bad, man, and there's no hope in that building. No. And more importantly, the head coach and GM are fighting for their jobs right now, right? They and you yeah. have to turn it around. And there isn't that guy in the roster that makes that dramatic improvement right now. There just isn't. So you know, if you can get a guy in there and he shows some hope, then you get to go to your boss next year and say, "Hey, look, we've made some strides. We got a young guy in here. He's shown some promise." You know, keep me around. You know, boss, please. Yeah, and, and uh, they literally just got rid of suck, just right. got rid of Joe Brady too, which is just like, yeesh. I mean that that was supposed to be the pairing, right? The Matt Rule, the Joe Brady, the young college guys coming into the NFL and bringing it up, and just just didn't work at all. So it's it's I I just think that the Panthers, it's just like you have to go buy some hope, something, and uh, yeah. who is that going to be? I don't know, but I I would be surprised to see them sit there at six and and go, you know all sensible and get, you know, sauce Gardner or something. I, I think that they're going to go QB. Yeah. What do you got, Ian? Yeah. So I think, uh, sorry, I was chipping away to mock draft real quick while I was, uh, while I was typing away, but I think um, if I had to, I wouldn't go Steelers just cause I think that signing Mitch Trubisky uh, gives you some insurance there. I think it, maybe if a guy falls to them, then they'll pick him. But I think Trubisky gives them the flexibility where they don't have to trade up. They're not, they're not forced into a corner. I think that's important. Uh, I think the the Panthers were going to be my pick. Uh, so Walter stole that from me, but that's okay. You know, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. It is, it is a good pick. And for the exact reason you mentioned, I mean, the bottom line is Matt rule. If he doesn't win, he's going to lose his job. And is he going to win with Sam Darnold? No. So the only way, the only way at this point, because uh, they lost on the, on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, the only way is to get a guy at number six overall. And uh, not just a guy, but I think a guy that you can win with early on. Because if you get Malik Willis and he ends up kind of you know being so up and down that they, that they go like 4-13, and 13, right, you're probably out the door. I mean, that's just how it is, right? So I think getting a guy maybe like Kenny Pickett or Desmond Ritter, I like Pickett if you're going to go high floor because Ritter, you know, as much as he's intelligent, right, but the mechanics are a big issue for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Pickett would be the one, especially since um, Rule has a history with Pickett. He actually recruited him back when he was at Temple. Pickett ended up choosing Pittsburgh, but, you know, Rule was in on that process. Uh, that's how old Pickett is, by the way. He's going to be a 24-year-old rookie, but wow. I don't care. I don't care about that stuff. You know, I just care about the talent, and I think that Pickett, you know, gives you the best chance to maybe be a little competitive early on and then kind of prove to your to your front office that you deserve some more time. Uh, I think the, the Panthers kind of have their back against the wall right now because not only do you have a quarterback, not only is it kind of a more uncertain quarterback class, but you also don't have any picks in round two or four. Round two or three. I mean, your your next pick is in the one hundreds after this one. So, you know, you really got to make it count. And how do you do that? You know, it's it's, it's tough. But I think the the Panthers have kind of worked into a corner where they have to go quarterback. So I would go that. I also think the wild card is the Lions at number two. Uh, I think if Aiden, if Aiden Hutchinson goes number one, 
then I think Malik Willis could could go number two. Now, do I think he's worth it in a normal class? No, but I know he's got the physical talent, and I know the Lions coached him at the Senior Bowl and had a very good experience with him. I know they were impressed with how much he grew over the course of the week. Uh, there was one, I remember one instance during a practice, I can't remember if it was the first or second, where Malik Willis kind of went through a full five-read progression, and the QB coach was really excited about it. And it was just showing growth, showing that retainment ability over the course of the week. You know, not necessarily like your your tape doesn't need to be perfect. You just need to show me that you can be coached, you that you can retain information, and that you can develop over time. So I think, you know, having that in-person experience coaching Malik Willis day in and day out might have given the Lions some insight onto how he they can develop him as a player. So I, I could see that happening off chance, but I don't think it's out of the realm of the possibility, especially with you know how much QB value gets driven up. The factor in Malik Willis's high-end tools, even though he's really rough around the edges, you know, someone might take that swing. Yeah, I like that. Um and that's again, I think that's what is going to draw the eyes for this draft as well. I think each of our each of our individual fandoms for each of our teams, where, wherever you're listening and, you, and your fandom and you're looking at your draft board and, and you're looking at specific guys, I think all of our eyes are always just going to be drawn to this quarterback position, see how this plays out. I think my last segment is going to be here for you guys. It's going to be a little bit of a lightning round. I'm just, I'm just going to literally go um, down the list here. We'll go one at a time. Answer as, as best you can in about 10 seconds each, okay? I'll start with Ian, and then I'll ask the same thing to Walter. I got about five questions here. We're going to do a lightning round. Ian, the number one overall, I want you to finish the sentence, the number one overall pick in this draft is? Trayvon Walker. (laughs) Trayvon Walker, so you're going against the Aiden Hutchinson. I think uh, I, I don't listen to me and I'll, I'll go over five seconds real quick here, but Please. I don't, I don't think either one is worth the number one overall pick. Mm. Okay. But Trayvon Walker has traits through the roof and the Jaguars are notorious for drafting high end athletes that they can't develop. So I'm going with Trayvon Walker. <laughs> well, the number one pick in this draft is. Yeah, it's Aiden Hutchinson. Um, and I love Trayvon Walker actually for his traits, but at the end of the day, Aiden Hutchinson had the production. And he tested phenomenally. Draft him, get out of there. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Uh, Ian, most slept player on this draft in your mind is? In this draft? Oh, wow. Give me an easy one, man. I know. I love breaking you. Wide receiver, (laughs) Eric Azukanma. Okay? God, my goodness. You know, all the fantasy guys look at at the production. And if you're a fantasy guy listening to this, I apologize. I don't hate you guys. I like you guys. But, you know, everyone looks at the production first with wide receivers. Azukanma has just low enough production where he falls completely under the radar for them. Like, he's not even on the lists, right? Now, he, he never... And I'm going over five seconds again. I realize that that is okay. <laughs> he is a he is a phenomenal talent, man. I mean, I, I look at the tape and I think you know, very very excited to project him to the next level. Six foot two, around two hundred nine pounds, thirty three and a half inch arms, same arm length as Traylon Burks, and he has that contested catch ability. He's a great run after catch threat. He's agile. He has elite contact balance. He took snaps out of the backfield. You know, any way they could get him the ball, they did. Now, it's Texas Tech's offense, so, you know, some other weapons and bad quarterback play. I think that limited him a little bit, but he has the athleticism. He has the physicality, the run-after-catch ability, the contested catch ability, and I think he's got some route running upside too. So, Eric Azukanma is my ultimate sleeper uh, at the wide receiver position in the NFL draft. I love that. I love that. Walt, give me your most slept player on in this draft. 
Oh no, this is so I'm hard sorry. because I have so many. All right, but I know it's I know it's the same for you, Ian. So I'm gonna do my best. All right, I don't know if he's all too much slept on, but uh, Leo Chanel, if I'm pronouncing his name right, Wisconsin, um, two fifty. I believe he can bench press 225 40 times. He tested better than probably most NBA athletes in terms of their vertical, and he was faster than everyone at the linebacker position really ever, except for, okay, we had a couple guys last year who were freaks. Put him in a 3-4, put him in a 4-3, it doesn't matter. That guy is too dynamic, looks too good on tape. He is a weapon. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, Ian, the most over-talked player thus far in this draft. Who do you think the most over-talked guy is? The most over-talked? Dang, that's uh, that's a little tough, man. Because I, I don't think there's anyone who's like, oh, I actually, one just came to mind, uh, Trevor Penning. Uh, now, I don't think he's like, I think he's still worth an early round pick. I just don't. He's a top 10 guy in some mocks, and I can't get behind that. As much as I love the upside, he's a freak athlete. He's a mauler. I mean, he's super mean. But technically, there's a lot to clean up that I'm a little worried about. He His feet stops moving around the edge sometimes. He plays with a really high pad level. It can be easy for defensive linemen to get under his pads and get around him. Uh, and he's pretty, he's a little stiff laterally, which I don't like. And then at the same time, I feel like his, his mauler mentality, that physical style might get him into the trouble early on in the NFL. So I'm going Trevor Penning. He's projected as a top 10 pick a lot of the time, but I, I think he's going to be a little up and down early on. And I, I wouldn't feel super comfortable taking him that high. Mm. Well, most overtalked player in this draft is. Yeah. So I'm going to go a little against the grain here with some, I kind of like it. And that's Trent McDuffie, uh, Washington. And I think he's, he, he's great on tape, uh, tested pretty well, but uh, he's 29 and a half inch arms. And the number of cornerbacks who've been successful with that uh, size arms doesn't exist. So he has to climb a huge mountain. Um, and we're talking about a guy looking at like a 12th or 15th overall pick. I think that's a, Big risk for that high pick. I, I think it's a little overhyped. I'd be cautious. Mm, I like it. And I got a last one here. I'll start with the end, go back to Walt. And I, I, I had some pretty deep discussions about this last year with uh, with Jacob Kamaker, um, our coworker at uh, Rigos now at Sporting News. He's the best. Um, but we talked about all the time these these teams that just need good drafts, right? I mean, how, how many years the 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 Packers yacked all over themselves and, and just the worst drafts ever. So, you know, that's going to be my question. Final question, Ian, who's the team in your mind that needs a really good draft this year? Now we're talking just overall NFL, just what team needs to, needs to hit it out of the park has an opportunity or just, or just really needs to have a good draft. That's a tough one. I mean, like uh, theoretically you could say every team, right? I mean, I don't think, you know, sure. very few can survive a, a terrible draft. It's a pretty big blow. Uh, to your roster development, but uh, you know, there's a few out there. I could say Washington, honestly. You know, I think yeah. trading for Carson Wentz was a big move. Was it in the right direction? I don't think so. But now that you've made it, you have to make it right. You know, it's one of those things where you have to make sure that this draft you add a ton of talent because let's face it, Ron Rivera. You know, if another bad year and he's probably out the door. And you're probably looking at another regime change, another spin around the globe, right? You know, it's just a, a, the cycle for Washington. But now that you've traded for Carson Wentz, the, the margin for error is very small. You have to make sure you get talent in this draft. Otherwise, 
you're going to be mediocre again and you're going to be resetting again. So I'm, I'm probably, I'm going with Washington for my pick. There's a few others, but Washington is just one team that's been trying to, you know, get past that cusp of playoff contention and they, they've never been able to do it. They're trying to do it with Carson Wentz. I'm not sold and they got to sell me by adding more talent. Yeah. Thank God we drafted Jamin Davis. Uh, Walt, the team that <laughs> needs the best draft this year is. Oh boy. Yeah, I, there there are so many. I got some controversial ones here, but I'm gonna put a little I'm gonna put a little science behind this and say that the easy way answers question is who has the most at risk right now, and that's the people with with the most picks, right? The most capital, and that is the Giants. The yeah, hundred percent. Two top ten picks. Um, heck, it one of them's top five, and they also are in a little bit of a precarious position because they have not been very good very long. Uh, I, I mean, they still have won more Super Bowls in 21st centuries than the Vikings have ever sniffed at, but they have sucked for a while now. Yeah. And, and you know, is this the right option there, QB? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. If you go out there and you miss on a couple picks and your QB looks rough, oh, boy, that is atrocious. So you have to nail these picks this year. Missing is unacceptable. There's too much talent. This, this is a deep draft everywhere but QB, I guess. So if you don't knock them out of the park, good riddance. Yeah, and that NFC, so many question marks. I mean, each of these teams, I think each team in the NFCs just didn't have a great offseason, to be totally honest with you. Um, I know the Eagles added Hassan Reddick, but I just I, I don't I don't really like anything that either, you know, either team in the NFCs has done. And, and the Eagles, I know they traded back, but um, Eagles and Giants both huge draft capital uh, this year, and they, they really can't afford to swing and miss on that one. Um, but boys, I'm not going to take up much more of your time. This, uh, this has been fantastic. And, and most importantly, we're going to get you guys back on the pod, but I think this is, this is, this is a great little start. This is a great little, little, little first, uh, first wave, um, for, for our uh, draft month as we head into April. Cause I mean, the draft is just a couple weeks away and I know Ian is just, just cranking away at mock draft. I mean, Ian has been doing full, this is hysterical. I, this was uh, the true story. Last year we did a draft preview. The, I think it was, I might have been three or four days before the draft, and uh, and then I had Ian on like the the day or two after the draft, and and literally Ian was working on twenty twenty two mock drafts like the day after the twenty twenty one draft. And by the way, oh, these are I'd not like first that. round mocks. These are like seven round mocks. <laughs> like he is going all out. So so Ian just lives. And breeds this stuff. And, uh, and Walt, we have been talking football for most of my adult life. So it's just great oh, to have you on the pod. I mean, it's just fantastic. Oh, it's about time. So we're going to get you back on. But um, Ian, Definitely. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your insight. I know you're busy. I do appreciate you being here as always. We'll get you on again anytime you want to come talk bagels, which we tend to do, and draft football. You're always welcome on. Yes, sir. And I always appreciate it. By the way, 2023, CJ Stroud, QB1, my early QB1. Bryce Young's up there. <laughs> already, we're there. Uh, yeah, already, we're, right. we're going, we're going. But yeah. yeah, I mean, if you don't want a QB this year, I'm sure there'll be some options next year. We'll there will be. And the good news is, is Washington will never be able to find a full one. So we're just going to do this exercise basically until I die. So I'm there excited about that. Go. Yeah, just pencil that in. Walt, thanks for joining us. You're in South Carolina, correct? Is that the deal? Actually, I'm in I'm in Nova and leaving at 4:30 in the morning tomorrow for South Carolina. Dude, we pulled a rest, little audible, so rest yeah, in peace. RIP to my morning tomorrow. Amen to that. Well, my dude, thank you so much for joining us, Ian. Uh, and and Ian, can you just tell the fine folks to to go ahead and hit subscribe on Apple for me? 
Yeah, uh, hit subscribe on Apple. Do it. Yeah, no, simple as that. On, well, I need you to tell our fine folks to hit five-star review on Apple after further review. Five-star six if you can find it. For if you can find review. it. Come on, If people. you can find it, I will sh- I will Venmo you $100. It'll happen. Compromise, 5.5. You can do that. We're gold. Go we on. are all gold. Yeah. It is fantastic. <laughs> after further review in the book, Shawnee will join us next week. Hopefully, he's still alive. I'll have to give him a call after this. But uh, as always, we're brought to you by Anchor FM, easiest way to make a podcast. Continue to follow. We are over 500 followers on Instagram, so I appreciate all you guys following. Let's keep doing that. I got a whole bunch of mailbag questions in from people this weekend. I don't know what you all were doing this weekend. I think I got 10 or 15 from just random people. I'm like, wow, you guys were just sitting on the email. So I'm going to get to a mailbag episode next week eventually. So hold tight. We're going to get this episode out. Walton in. you guys were absolutely fantastic. And uh, we will we will catch you guys later. Next week, me and Shauna will be back. And as always, we'll catch you guys on the other side.